0: Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Constructed Resources. I'm one of your intrepid co-hosts, Luis Scott Vargas, followed my, my um, I don't know what the opposite of intrepid is, but my other co-host, uh, Andrew Beckstrom. How's it going, BK? Do you even,
1: do you even know what intrepid means? Uh, daring, I think? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much right. All right, fair enough. I, I guess it was probably a bad idea to ask you what the word intrepid means, considering we're going to be talking a bunch about cards from the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons inspired set, Adventures of the Forgotten Realm. And yep, intrepid is a word that frequently gets used in fantasy settings. But <laughs> fair enough, fair enough.
0: We'll take it. Uh, we, yeah, we've got a good show because uh, there's a lot of sweet stuff to talk about. Well, I was going to say in the set. There's a lot to talk about. It's sweet around the set. The the set itself. Well, well, we'll we'll get to we'll get to that. Let's just say. Throne of Eldrain casts a long shadow, one that we've, uh, we have not yet gotten out of,
1: but. It's only uh, got a few months left.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I I'm holding on hope that I'm, I'm still playing magic by the time Throne rotates out in two years or whatever it, it's going to be. So <laughs> th- this show, of course, is brought to you by channelfireball.com. You can head on over to channelfireball to pick up uh, cards for really any occasion, up to and including, you know, cards from Modern Horizons 2, pre-orders for Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, and if you do that, go ahead and use the code CR to show your podcast boys, not the Scrammy River guys, the, the, the actual podcast boys some love. <laughs> so, VK's uh, rolling his eyes over here, I can see him. Uh, you got some decks of the week, or, or what? What are, what are you doing here?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, so to start things off, There was a pretty cool Elementals deck that top eight at one of the modern challenges this week on magic online a four color elementals deck and it's built around playing a lot of copies of the new sort of pitch elementals and so we're talking about you know four copies of solitude three copies of fury a couple copies of subtlety even a copy of endurance and then what we do with that is we get to take advantage of a couple of really good interactions with them so first of all if you play with like Omnath, both Omnath Locus of the Royal and Omnath Locus of Creation, the one from the most recent uh, Zendikar Rising. Well, that, that card's really good because it's just it's a pretty good elemental card, but also it allows it since it's so many colors, it works to pitch to so many of your different elementals. It helps really smooth that out. And then the big interaction is obviously we've got four ephemerates going on here. So you know, we can play our solitude, ephemerate it exile another thing and now we have a big lifelinker same thing kind of with fury so this this deck is really good against anybody playing with creatures and then with risen reef we get a way to sort of make up the card disadvantage of playing a lot of elementals which requires to exile another card to play them and this also takes really nice advantage of the whole ephemerate interaction because you know you can have like a pretty busted turn where it's like I play risen reef i play solitude i ephemerate it and now i've gotten three risen reef triggers in one turn and gotten to exile two things so this deck comes out of the gate a little bit slow but it really makes up for it because obviously when you've got a bunch of free cards you're playing it it does a a nice job of uh of sort of catching you up on tempo the one of the big pieces of the deck is the fact that it's playing with a lot of copies of flamekin harbinger a full play set This is a single red for an elemental that allows you to search your library for an elemental creature card, and then you put it on top of your library. And so normally we think of this as like, you know, it's not great to have a tutor which doesn't even put it into our hand. But because of Risen Reef, sometimes if you play the Flame King Harbinger, you can stack the triggers. So, you know, oh, I really need a Solitude for this spot, or I really need a Fury. You just put the... You stack the triggers so that you get the flamekin harbinger search trigger to resolve first then the risen reef trigger resolves now you get to put it in your hand you might get to use it the same turn and because it itself flamekin harbinger is an elemental it means it's a pretty great combo with risen reef where you've just like if you ever played with like the elementals when risen reef was not standard like one mana elementals like sometimes that was just like there was like a crap there were some really crappy elementals that people played literally just because they were so cheap and also, like, if you can just use Flamekin Harbinger to find your Risen Reef. So, like, this deck doesn't really have, like, a normal curve and really play out like most modern decks you've probably played. But it is an, it, it really is a very powerful deck. And because you have things like Endurance and Foundation Breaker are also Elementals, you even have uh, cards which are good against Artifacts and Enchantments cards, which are good against Graveyards, and all of the tutoring that Flamekin Harbinger works with that as well. So there's a lot of really good stuff going on with this deck. Um, so if, if you're looking for uh, a pretty out there modern deck, I recommend giving this one a shot. Yeah, it,
0: it's pretty sweet. It, uh, I like the, the real creative approach with like all these like double and three color cards to so you can pitch cast your elementals as m- much as possible. Really cool set of synergies going on in this deck.
1: Yeah, and it's not like if you just cast an Omnath, that's going to go badly. And in fact, the curve of like, You know where you have like omnath and you play a fetch line the same turn and get another land well all of these elementals are almost well like the big ones like the solitudes and the furies cost five omnath will give you four mana back and then with that land drop you just made you're also have the fifth mana so you could like there's just so many busted things and there's a bunch even more like fulminator mages and elemental you could tutor up revelark is one where it's like oh they killed a couple of risen reefs now i'm just going to bring them all back with revelark and revel Arc works with Ephemerate, so lots of stuff going on here um to dig into uh next like of the week uh, you know there's not a it's kind of funny we'll see what happens this weekend luis you've got a very important league weekend this weekend with Standard historic so uh we'll see if you guys if you've broken it um and we'll see if anybody else breaks it, and we'll check in on that next week but not a whole lot of huge new developments there but in legacy people are continuing to iterate with the new modern horizons cards so i thought i'd tell you you know people at home are pro- are all big fans of standstill it's it feels like it's a real beloved card despite being kind of an obnoxious card uh standstill is one in a blue for an enchantment whenever a player plays a spell sacrifice standstill each of that player's opponents draw three cards and so basically i play standstill and now if either of us plays something Standstill goes away and the other one draws three cards now, what you could do with standstill is you can activate abilities and do all sorts of things like attack with creature land. So like Mishra's Factory was the classic one with Standstill for a long time. But now with Urza's Saga, we have a whole new way to build a standstill deck. And with Urza's Saga, we can both, you know, we can both activate it a bunch of times to get some things that can be attacking. And then you can get Retrofitter Foundry, which is a one-mana artifact at the end, which has a bunch of activated abilities that allow you to continue improving your board presence all while standstill remains in play of course we've got a fantastic new one drop in Raghavan to go into this deck which is uh you know another great card which is giving you a ton of value in the forms of Treasures even while you're under standstill so um you know if this deck this this deck is like sort of playing with basically all of the busted stuff from the new set because we've got Raghavan we've got Prismatic Ending we've got Urza Saga so um just, if you if you want to play with all of the busted Modern Horizons two cards, like basically we've it feels like we've got both like the red half with like Raghavan, Dragon Rage, Channeler. Not that Dragon Rage Channeler is in here, but like the red, the great red cards, and then Urza Saga. And this is the sort of the first deck that I've seen that is like really doing a good job of putting them both together.
0: Yeah, it even gets the Murktide Regents in there too. Another, another new card. I I do <laughs> find it funny that the two most expensive cards are Raghavan and Urza Saga, and this deck just manages to jam both uh, in, in a pretty nice little little combination here
1: Yep. all right Louis. so we've got a new magic set coming up so we're going to dig into adventures of the forgotten realm today this is the next sort of standard expansion um and sort of the last one before rotation where despite what Luis may have told you in earlier in the show this is sort of the last sort of season of standard with throne of eldraine Acoria m21 and theros beyond death so A lot of cards are going to be leaving us soon, so when we're taking a look at this new set today that is based around the world of the Forgotten Realm, one of the key settings of Dungeons & Dragons, we're going to be both looking at this in the context of like, you know, how are these cards going to fit into today's standard? Do they have homes today as well as maybe in older formats? but also with an eye towards the future, because there might be a possibility that in the near future, you can play an X2 in standard and it won't get Bone Crusher giant. We haven't got confirmation yet. It would be very unusual if, if they printed Bone Crusher giant in like the next Innistrad set. So I, I think that one's probably going to be leaving us soon.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think it's worth kicking off the discussion uh, of these new cards with kind of the caveat that Throne of Eldraine is just an abomination and has made it so a lot of cool cards over the last couple of years just didn't never saw the light of play. This set is going to be impacted less than previous ones because, as you said, there's going to be a rotation in not too many months from now. But that does mean that a lot of these cool cards, you know, if I had to bet in a couple of weeks, once uh, once Afr is out, it's like a month, I guess, you know, and Standard's kind of in full swing again. How many Afr cards see play versus Throne cards? Throne is still going to be pretty loud. It's just hard to get away from, like, the adventures package uh, more than anything else. That said, there's a bunch of cool stuff in the set, both in terms of flavor and in terms of gameplay. Like, there are a bunch of cards here that look like they have real promise. So I'm excited to talk about them, and, uh, you know, they they actually might have spoiled the best one today. Uh, Demi Lich looks really good to me.
1: Yeah, this one looks like this could be a real player in both standard and in older formats. It's got a lot of the, of the lot of the kinds of characteristics we typically see on some pretty busted cards. But uh, if so, for people who haven't seen it, Demi Lich is blue, 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 blue. So that's four blue mana for a creature skeleton wizard, and it is a 4-3. It's not flying or anything, it's just... You know an on the ground four three for blue what? blue it doesn't blue, fly blue.
0: it just so clearly flies in the picture also demo liches effectively fly
1: well i'm telling you this one doesn't so first off this spell costs blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you've cast this turn and this is like a big whoa because we certainly see uh mechanics and cards which will reduce the cost of things but it is almost always reducing the just the generic mana cost. You know, when we talk about mechanics like Del, for instance, that just you know gets its only so cheap, but you still need to have some amount of colored mana to get it going. Demi Lich is unusual. If you have cast four instants and sorcery spells this turn, this thing is free as it comes. And that's uh that's just the first ability. Uh, second ability, whenever it attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard copy it you may cast the copy so this is sort of a, like a dread horde arcanist style ability um the big difference here is you're still gonna have to pay for the card um, you don't get it for free but you are not limited to sort of how cheap the card is and so this card can give you quite a bit of awesome advantage if you can ever manage to untap with it so all right so we got off to a pretty good start we've got a four three that could just cost literally like you know, zero mana, but even if we only played like a couple of spells, it's still only costing us like two. Where does this card go really sort of off the rails? Well, it's got one of the best lines of text you'll ever see. You may cast it from your graveyard by exiling four instant or, or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs. So all of those instants and sorceries spells that we use, that we might want to use to make it cheaper, well, once we've cast them, then we can exile them, and now we can cast the Demi Lich from our graveyard. And so in addition to this card potentially coming down for no mana, being a threat that the opponent has to deal with almost immediately. Otherwise, we're going to start pulling really far ahead in this game. You could also just keep casting it over and over again. So, I mean, things like Uro, Hogak come to mind is like, these are, these are cards that are similar to, them, to Demi Lich in that they allowed you both to cast them again and again from the graveyard. And in the case of Hogak, it just killed so hard and so fast. This one is, like, more in the space of Uro in that if you don't kill this one, um, you're going to get up in some way. Uro straight drawing you cards and gaining you life, and this one allowing you to cast dope spells from your yard.
0: I think it's going to play out really well, where early in the game, you know, you're going to cast it at a discounted rate, right? Because you cast a couple spells. And and in some formats, that's going to be frequently for 0 or 1 mana when we're talking cards like... uh, Lava Dart or Mana Motor Force to, like, pull two off the top of my head. Uh, when But when you're talking about a, maybe a more fair format, it's just casting this routinely for, like, double blue because you cast two spells first. But then later in the game, once they've presumably dealt with it, because unchecked Demi Lich, yeah, it's going to generate a bunch of cards for you because you cast some spells to get it into play. So clearly there's targets for it when it attacks. So they have incentive to kill it. Later in the game, if you have to cast it for full retail, I don't think that matters that much. Like, you don't need to have this be a bargain every single point in the curve. It is nice, though, that, you know, you, you'll be able to cast, I mean, ter- turn two Mana Morphos requires a zero drop to also be able to play the Demi Lich for, for then two mana. But uh, later in the game, well, a turn or two later on turn three or four, it's really easy to go Manamorphos Lightning Bolt, play this, and have a have a threat that's pretty sizable and then threatens to come back the following turn if the opponent deals with it.
1: Yeah, and this one of the great things about Demi Lich is that it's it's like it's a lot like an, it reminds me a lot of Arclay Phoenix because Arclay Phoenix also had the property coming back from the graveyard, king off you, casting a bunch of incense and sorceries in a turn. With Demi Lich, we don't even have to worry about the fails case of what if I don't draw a looting effect to get this into my graveyard and I have a bunch in my hand. Demi Lich is really strong in multiples, assuming that you can start caught if you that you can like pull off like the free spell angle. Because with Demi-Lich, if I have three Demi-Liches in my hand and I've cast four instance and sorcery spell, it costs me literally zero mana to play all of them. And maybe it costs me like one mana and I'll just need to, you know, pay for, you know, a little bit for each of them. But either way, it's it's this card uh, this card reads to me like it's going to work a lot better at multiples than something like Arclight Phoenix or even Uro or Hogak. I think that's one of the strengths about the Demi-Lich is like we... We are going to get some really crazy starts with this card. It's gonna—you're going to see some hollow one type of scenarios in early games. It does require
0: free spells to to really pop off. Right. So, which is formats like modern or legacy, uh, because you don't really get free spells in like standard or historic for the most part. Uh, but in the formats that have cards like gutshot, manamorphos, and so on, yeah, this card looks like it can do some pretty ugly things. But I also would expect it to to see play in 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 something like uh, a historic art like F- Arc Phoenix deck. They still have access to Faithless Looting. They still have access to Finale. Like casting a you know Finale of Devastation, the red one, and just getting to like play three spells right off that already gets you pretty pretty close to the way there.
1: Is that the red one, or is that I think that's Finale of Promise? I uh, think Finale Devastation is the, the, the green one. green yeah, one. Yeah, Finale of Promise. You're right. Yeah. Um, I think I just thought of it because that's the only one I ever cast because if it's in cube. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing about doing the finale of promise thing is just like we are to some degree eating the fuel that will let us cast it from the graveyard. That's true. cast by exiling those cards. Um, But yeah, so we're going to see this card with, you know. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, obviously, once we get to modern is like the sweet spot because it's not just like it. It tends to be with, and we've already hit on them like Metamorphos, Lava Dart, um, like even just like Lightning Bolt. The cheaper, the better with this bad boy. And in modern, that's where we start to get into the range of like really cheap ones. Now, it's absolutely true that an historic Brainstorm and Faithless Living are there too. In Standard, I don't. It's I don't think expect this card to be as strong unless we see a serious ratcheting up of how strong the one mana cards are um and also the you know we start to, it's going to matter a little bit more how easy it is for you to like cast this on the fair for like Tempest Gin style mana in standard we don't oftentimes get like as many good dual lands where it's just going to be like oh yeah I just have blue 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 so the the costs seem a little bit more real to me in standard but it's like in modern where I could just like fetch up, I can play Spire Bluff Canal and Steam vents. and this is going to be super easy if I find a color like red for instance which has a ton of stuff which is in that sort of free spell space
0: there's also an angle here that these decks don't typically lean too far into that it could, which is that self-milling cards or cards that put a lot of cards into your graveyard, this this does work pretty well with those, which, you know, is, is a slightly different tack where I don't know to the point where you're probably not casting like actual Tome Scour type stuff, but Thought Scour or Strategic Planning are both ways to kind of get things into the graveyard that are going to have higher value once you have a bunch of flashback threats. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit more pressure put on, you know, wanting to just mill yourself or really rapidly put cards in your graveyard because that also helps fuel the graveyard for the Lich both when it attacks and when it uh, when it wants to come back.
1: I didn't something know. that I was curious about when I was looking at the Demi Lich was like, does this work with like stuff like Plum the Forbidden? the this sort of the stuff that we some of the stuff we got in Strixhaven but it do, it doesn't and unlike magecraft this only works for each one you've cast so this isn't going to key off of like copies like we saw with some of the magecraft stuff in Strixhaven
0: right we can't you, you can't ground rift and play a turn on demiliches or something like that it would take like two gut shots or something but it would be funny oh
1: yeah all right so Demi Lich is uh is certainly you know inspired like we mentioned it's it's got a lot in common with some cards that we've seen be pretty busted in the past obviously all the specifics don't matter but um in general the opportunity cost on this one doesn't feel like super high to me this one doesn't come out i would say that like this one is a little bit more in the space of like being great for like a grindier arc phoenix style of deck and is less in the like murktide Regent, sort of monastery so spear style stuff it might be really strong there but the, the the raw strength of this card is not in killing people because at the end of the day you know we're not getting like a fly an evasive creature and it doesn't have you know sort of sort of crazy huge stats but it sort of really makes up for it and then it's like you know you just play this card in a deck with maybe some counter spells i mean i, I think that's the thing that i'm kind of curious to see is like to, to what degree is this a card that you play in fairer blue decks just because it is a a pretty resilient card um, in terms of just being able to come back over and over again throughout the course of the game a la a card like uro um, and it still does offer you you know beyond just being like a resilient creature giving you some actual advantage where you're combining it with your best removal spells and casting them each turn when it attacks
0: yeah i, I could definitely see this more as like a three or four mana play in these decks that If has a really threatening attack trigger and then comes back pretty easily. Or you just have like a more controlling version of a deck where you're like, all right, I'm going to cast expressive iteration, play a land, bolt your thing, and play a two-drop Lich. If you deal with it, I've already got enough fuel to bring it back next turn.
1: Yeah, a card I'll be curious to see it combined with in Standard is Prismari Command. The ability of Prismari Command to loot the Demi Lich into your yard, be an instant in sorcery for you when it's... to then cast it from your yard, and to give you a treasure, which can be used to facilitate you casting more instant sorcery spells on a turn, really sounds like it's giving you a lot of what the Demi Lich is looking for.
0: Well, this definitely is the card I'm most excited about, and it's funny because it actually doesn't look like it's going to impact Standard to a huge degree, but it's just a sweet card that goes into this shell of... uh, you know, a variety of spells decks that have been good for a long time and will continue to be good. But there there are plenty of other action, too. Uh, What do you want to talk about next?
1: Yeah, I think the most, one of the more impactful things we're going to see is the new Creature Lands coming into Adventures of the Forgotten Realm. So presumably it's a cycle of five lands. We haven't seen the green one yet, one for each color. They all share the property of... If you control two or more other lands it enters the battlefield tapped so basically if these and they all tap for their color so either the high tyrant taps for black cave of the frost dragon taps for white and if they are your third lander later they will come into play tapped but otherwise you know turn one turn two and they all all have an activated ability that, that costs some amount of generic mana and one of their color to turn into a creature for the turn and these are a little bit more um intense of creatures than i'm used to seeing on a creature land so running through them the black one is for is four mana to become a three three black beholder creature and whenever it attacks exile target card from defending player's graveyard so nothing like too crazy on this black one outside of the fact that this is just a piece of graveyard hate that you could just add to your black decks and will just help you in games where you may be playing against someone like reanimator or playing against a card like a Demi Lich like you could do an end of turn where you're using like kill the Demi Lich on your my turn fire up hive of the eye tyrant and I really like that it's um giving you a nice little bit of tactical value there's a, he, as we're going to go deeper into this set Louise. There are so many cards which can come back from the graveyard that look like they have the potential to be important cards, if not immediately in standard in the near future. And so I think Hive of the Tyrant is going to be underrated by players at first because it's only you're only paying four mana to get a 3-3. Three, three. But just getting that sort of like free graveyard hate is going to be so nice.
0: Yeah, you you, you you are right. I initially looked at it and I'm like, well, this is one of the worst ones. And I think that you have a good point. It's good d d flavor, by the way. There's a lot of resurrecting and coming back from the dead in d d so the fact that a lot of these cards matter in the graveyard is somewhat on point. The, the one I, I think I'm the most excited about uh, is the blue one. <laughs> so, it well, it's funny because on the one hand, uh, blue decks don't want tap lands, especially since this, one, this tap land is a little awkward where, yes, it's untapped in the first two turns, But your blue control decks have plenty of other tap lands that they, they do want to sequence with like a temple first, which does mean this is going to be a kind of awkward card. But a hall of the storm giant uh, is for five and a blue. It becomes a seven, seven giant creature with ward three. So this is like a pretty legit finisher. You're, you're paying six and then plus the land itself to come in and smash for seven. And if they're, if tap low, they can't even interact with it.
1: Yeah, and this, this land pairs really fantastically in the late game with Wraths because it's like you could just have this land, and if they just have one decent-sized creature, well, then it would just eat it. Even if they have two, one gets through. This eats the other. And so now it's like these, instead of just you being forced to cast this Wrath because they might chip shot damage in, you could just hold this land up, hold up maybe a Counterspell, and now they are forced to really commit to the board And even these later game wraths can really clean things up. So, this one's a pretty beefy one. Uh, One thing I did want to note is that I think it's a pretty smart decision to have these lands the way they're templated, where you can't use them as blockers right away because they come into play tapped, but I think it's going to make it a lot easier for people to play with by them coming into tapped past the first couple of turns, because that means you will never have to worry about getting tricked into activating these lands and attacking with them the first turn you play them. It's a, you know, because like, I've played against a lot of people over the years with Mutavault, um, in both in Standard and Modern, where it's just like, they just try to play it and attack with it because it's like, well, of course I can use my land right away. I can always use my land, but when you animate a a land into a creature, it now starts being affected by Summoning Sickness.
0: Well, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but I guess most creature lands, or many creature lands, not most, come into play tapped, but Faceless Haven doesn't. That's one that...
1: Uh, could definitely see people making that mistake with as well. Yeah, and it's great that you mentioned Faceless Haven because these lands are really important in terms of giving players the option to be able to have access to a creature land and still get access to great gold cards. Right now in Standard, it is generally felt to me with limited exceptions that if you want to play with uh, with Faceless Haven, you kind of have to askew playing a second color because it's just going to be hard to both get enough snowlands consistently for faceless haven and still have both of your colors online a lot because you can't play as many dual lands but with these creature lands ah, oh, i can absolutely play something like cave of the frost dragon which is five mana to become a three four flying dragon i really like the red one it's four mana to get a three two red goblin when it attacks you get a one one goblin tapped and attacking and so i can actually build something like a red-white aggro deck, and still feel okay about the fact that I'm not going to get a creature land in Faceless Haven. In fact, that can run even more creature lands and have access to them even more often because I'm playing a full two colors.
0: I will say, is it dragons is two colors in plays Faceless Haven, but it is the exception rather than the rule.
1: <laughs> well, I yeah, I think the big thing there is that it's not, is that it has, you don't really get to do that with it two color aggro decks yes like you basically are priced into playing the blue red snow land and that is not a land I generally want to be playing in any kind of aggro deck and so um, it's it's going to help out a lot I think to be able to just have these for aggressive strategies
0: yeah I also think that these lands overall are better in aggro just because aggro can use these as one of their only tap lands so they can play these early not suffer the disadvantage and then later in the game, when they are tap lands, it doesn't hurt aggro nearly as much as Control, who really wants their fourth or fifth on tap land to play their sweeper or what have you, and then draws, you know, Hall the Storm King versus aggro, which it's, yes, you're playing Mono Red, you draw like, you know, Den of the Bugbear or what have you. You are gonna sometimes get messed up when it's your fourth land, but it's, the fail cases are way less frequent.
1: And we haven't seen the green one near that, so that one's gotta be busted, but <laughs> we'll see as that one gets spoiled. Uh, The next one, we've got uh, a card which is coming for the the Baneslayer Angel thrown in standard. Luis, uh, this is Old Dragon, and that is actually its name. Um, This has got a pretty sweet set of abilities. It's three red and a white. We got a 4-3 flyer, whatever its abilities, flying lifelink and haste. Yeah, it does all the things
0: you want uh, in kind of any matchup that involves life totals, even against... a a deck that's not trying to attack your life total you you can play this and whack them for four right away which isn't terrible it would be better if planeswalkers were playable but planeswalkers really i I, you know people used to complain about these things i don't think (laughs) i I don't think i've seen a planeswalker play in like months it
1: feels like he's yeah what is the most played planeswalker in standard right now it's like
0: the luka teamer deck that plays luka but that's doesn't really lend itself to games where the planeswalker is a is an important game piece because it just kind of comes down and makes coma or doesn't you know uh
1: yeah they went pretty hard about lifting it up after war of the spark and it's been a pretty light year for planeswalkers so we'll, we'll have to see maybe with post rotation if if planeswalkers start getting back into the mix more this this adult gold dragon is like is pretty nice in i don't i think i think it's a, mostly a weaker card than goldspan dragon what it's good at is it sort of allows you to do a good job of playing i think like a tempo game against other aggro decks you know something goldspan dragon isn't like particularly great against is racing against aggressive strategies um that's something that gold dragon is good again is very good with the thing there you're sort of going to feel like the difference between something like adult gold dragon versus pain angel is that on the first turn against aggressive strategies you have this amazing option with bane angel of leave it back to block and it's going to be able to both hold off an attacker and if they do attack it gains a bunch of life and probably kills something so it just makes the attacks horrible with adult gold dragon four three is now getting into the range where okay i could probably attack into this and trade it and yeah you gain some life but it's not as devastating for me as the aggressive player and because it only has three toughness against red aggressive strategies you're really not going to want to leave it back to block because it's going to be quite likely uh, that that format will have a three a common you know three damage source which will just take this thing out and now you're getting no value from it but one of the things that's nice about this card is that you can both play it in your sideboard of any kind of red white deck bring it in against control when you want more haste threats or they have more planeswalkers and you get to bring it in against red. and maybe it and so this is like kind of one of those perfect cards of when we talk about like you don't start this card because it's not exceptional at fueling any kind of game plan in game one But this is the kind of card which can make a sideboard really come together because now it's like, oh, I really need to get out of this plan. It's just not effective in this matchup. Adult Girl Dragon is basically going to be always serviceable for you to side in.
0: It's the sort of card where the three you have in your sideboard are always better than your three worst cards in any given matchup.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's going to be where we're going to see this one land. Unless we get like, you know, there's some Dragon Tribal stuff, but... Nothing I've seen that makes me think that, like, Dragon Tribal is going to be uh, a big thing in Standard yet. So, uh, a, a, I think this is, like, basically... It's weird to describe a 5-mana, 4-power Dragon with Haste as, the, as, like, the best sideboard card in the set, but that's honestly how I see Adult Dragon. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it, it, does, it is the card I would want in my sideboard. It's, it, there's a lot of reasons for that. You kind of covered them. Another one that is... In decks that don't have main deck creatures, bringing creatures in out of the sideboard is a really... It's like a time-tested strategy because you kind of put your opponent in this position of either having dead removal against your your creatureless draw or getting kind of caught uh, off guard by a creature they need to kill. You obviously don't really want it in your deck game one because everyone has removal in their deck game one. You, you really want to put them to the question in post-board games. So, yeah, Adult Gold Dragon looking like a solid sideboard card. Uh, and the name is really weird if you don't play D&D but if you do dragons are classified by their age so like there's different entries for each one like you know young or whatever elder adult in this case and uh, that that's where the name comes from but out of that context it is
1: pretty weird so remember how we talked about the coupon for the code for this podcast on shadow.com is CR um I want I, I'm not saying I, I would never tell anybody what they should buy but Baleful Mastery, I think, could be a pretty important card. In- Why? Because let's get into another card which is going to be really, really good to kill with Exiling. I don't want to just kill this one. Uh, and this is Icing Death Frost Tyrant, Flying Vigilance for four mana, four three, and it's a dragon. It's a legendary dragon. And so we a four three flyer with Vigilance for four. Okay, so this is like in the Legion Angel space. So like, this is obviously isn't anything like we're going to just be static ecstatic to get just because it's like, well, wow, that's really great stats and abilities for the cost. But it has a death trigger when it dies. You get icing death, frost tongue, a legendary white equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus two plus zero, And whenever it attacks. You tap target creature defending player controls and it is an equipped cost of two. So we get to both buff up a creature and this creature is going to make it so all of our other creatures are going to be able to attack because it's going to be able to tap something down. Um, a four-three flying vigilance is going to dominate battlefields, and when it blocks and trades with something, it's going to put you up value. And we've got a bunch, and we've seen with the white aggressive decks that have existed in standard so far, with things like Halifar, we've got equipment synergies going on. All of the, what this says to me is this is a card which is going to slot quite nicely with a bunch of other white aggressive cards, and give you a great white flyer. Um, so I'm just really in, into everything that Icing Death Frost Tyrant is, could do as the potential top end for a white aggressive deck in standard, if not right now, definitely post-rotation.
0: I mean, compare this to Legion Angel, right? That's the direct comparison, which is a card that white winnie decks currently are even playing. Would you rather get the right. opportunity to cast another 4-3 for 4, three, four, four or, or get an equipment for free in play that has an effect right away on combat? And it feels like Icing Death... Maybe you play both. I don't know. But it feels like Ice and Death can, definitely deserves to be tried out in those slots. Because you put that equipment on, like, a seasoned hollow Blade. like, you, you're going to hit for a lot of damage. It's going to be pretty hard for your opponent to stop you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this the fact that this... It's so nice that the equipment gives you a tap ability. One of the things with, like, equipment that your opponent, the way they can fight back gets it is, like... Okay, well your creature's a little bit stronger, but I'm just gonna trade and now you're gonna have to spend even more mana moving it around. And in games where you have a lot of mana, that's great, but that's not all of the games with equipment. Because of this tap ability, your investment is going to get paid off so much more reliably because blocking will just not be as much of an option for your opponent. So I think that Frost Tyrant by both being a flyer and giving you an equipment which keeps things punching through is going to be an absolutely phenomenal tool if the format moves to being back to being more about creatures on the battlefield in the post rotation world, where this card is going to make it so that, you know, you can block anything, you can attack over anything, and then you could just keep attacking with whatever is left on the ground, even if they go ahead and kill this thing. And again, that's why I'm saying like, man, Demi Lich now, Icing Death. Baleful Mastery and cards at Exile are going to be pretty great because you just don't want to have to dig work through these cards, either cast multiple times or when they die and give you an equipment.
0: Uh, another card that that looked pretty good uh, is uh, in this vein is Flame Skull. So uh, this is the the one red red for a uh, 3-1 and uh, this one does fly so I, I bring <laughs> I, I bring back my Demulage complaint. Uh, it's a three-one and it can't block. And this is a mythic rare. It has a, the ability rejuvenation. So I'll, I'll, a ton of the cards in the set have these like ability words. By the way, that just describe what's happening, which I, I do like. It's a little ham-handed at times, but I do like it. I think it gives you some good flavor. Uh, maybe it has a bit of a cost of having more words in the cards.
1: But for people who don't play D and D, like a flame skull is a creature that you might encounter in D- when you play Dungeons and Dragons. And Rejuvenation, like, is an actual ability that some creatures and monsters have in D&D, and the flame Skull in D&D does have Rejuvenation. So it, it, it really beyond just sort of describing the flavor of the card.
0: Yeah, totally. And and uh, what, what happens with this one is when it dies, you exile it, and if you do, you exile the top uh, card of your library, and until the end of the next turn, you can play one of those cards. You can only play one, so you, you can't just... Play both, but every time this dies, you get a turn to either replay it or to just play your top card of your deck if that's better. On a 3-1 fire for three, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, the camp block is a real big drawback to watch out for because it's like if you are losing an aggressive race, um, this card is gonna be a little rough because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have haste. And unlike some you know, so with like the Phoenix that we have in standard right now, with escape, you know, we're not getting to sort of like punch hard with this card. But this card is just so much more resilient because it's just only costing three and then that ability is just pure upside compared to the fact that like we can cast it every time it dies if we ever just see something better or maybe we have another one in our hand that we could be spending the man on and now we hit an extra land drop because of it um there's just lots of good things that happen from it um so uh flame skull i think this this one is like is good it's going to be a really tough card for control de- decks and even some mid-range decks to beat unless they have exiling removal or something which is sort of like permanently locks it down that like makes it so it can't attack or block. But that being said, um, this card does offer quite a bit of resiliency. And so at the very least, I would once again say excellent sideboard card because of how resilient this is. But one other thing to keep in mind is that like you can... Potentially protect this card to some degree with like instant speed sacrifice effects, because then if your opponent does go for something like one of those exiling removal effects, hey, I sacrifice it and now I get to still cast the flame skull again.
0: It also might just fit with sacrifice effects even outside of that, because, you, you know, you can you can immediately recast it so it gives right. you some pretty good value there, too. Yeah, I, I like the way flame skull looks
1: yep definitely it, it offers a lot for what is oftentimes it offers a lot more depth i would say than what we typically get out of these phoenixes the phoenixes make up for it a little bit by oftentimes being like better blockers but the flame skull offers you know so much more it's it's generally this one is like cheaper to come back than other phoenixes we've seen it say this one itself isn't a phoenix but it's very much in that vein um but it, uh, it sort of offers you the depth of being able to sacrifice it at will and potentially turn it into another better card for whatever the situation is.
0: You know, while well, <laughs> the, the Exile or, or Not theme, uh, Ebon Death Draculich is another mythic that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Two black black for a zombie dragon uh, legendary. It's a 5-2 flash flying and it enters the battlefield tapped. So it's a funny combination of effects there where you're like, oh yeah, it's got flash, it's got flying. And it enters the battlefield tapped. So it, it it comes in tapped. The reason is you may cast it from your, from your graveyard if a creature not named Ebon Death died this turn. And the flash part means it can be cast on their turn because it doesn't need one of your creatures to die. It just needs not literally itself to die. So in a deck with a bunch of removal, you can like Doomblade their thing and then cast this end of turn. If two creatures trade in combat, you could potentially do that or if they kill one of your creatures and you have mana up you can punish them and four mana for a five power flyer that you can play at instant speed that sounds like a nightmare for control decks
1: yep another card which is really strong with sacrifice alex because we can you know if we say we were to do, in like something like historic where we can use Priests of the forgotten gods you can you you could sacrifice and death dracolich and another creature it doesn't care if Ebon death died as long as another creature died that wasn't named Ebon death you can cast it and so you can use that priest of the forgotten god's mana to cast this again right away one of the things that this card looks like it will particularly excel at is if planeswalkers are good in new standard this is a five two flyer that comes down on turn four and because it has flash we can oftentimes disguise it and protect it from sorcery speed removal by playing it at our opponent's end step and then untap and attack for five and maybe your opponent um, thought that they were going to be able to play their Planeswalker and have it live a turn, but in the reality, and Death will be able to sort of get there. It is a legendary creature and it is a zombie dragon, um, so there are some potential. You know, I don't know if this card is going to show up in older graveyard uh, formats, but you know, with things like Narkomeba, it's like, hey, I throw out a Narkomeba and I chump block it, and I'm happy to mill over an Ebon Death, and maybe you already killed my prized amalgams the now end turn because Narkomeba died. I cast and Death the prized amalgam season leave my graveyard, and now they're coming back. So there's some real possibilities. Uh, the, the big trick in sort of these self-mill strategies will be how are we making sure we turn on the death. But, you know, with things like Seder Wayfinder, Ditcher Supplier, there's definite possibility to get some creatures into play which could just die.
0: And this is quite a bit larger and more flying than
1: uh, a lot of the threats these decks typically present. So it does seem like
0: it's got some potential there.
1: Yeah, and kind of bigger than we typically see and hits harder so if you are playing a game where graveyard hate is more of a thing well you know if they don't have removal it's not good they're not going to get a ton of time to dig for it so uh yet another in the vein of hey it's really good if you exile this card um (laughs) but uh so we'll we'll see we'll see how these cards shake out but it's going to be the kind of thing where it's like it's almost going to make it harder for them the more of these that show up in standard because it's like it's one thing when it's like, oh, I need one card. I need to be able to deal with this one specific card, which you know is recursive and like Uro, for instance. So it's like, I don't really... My opponents, not all of them have it. Well, actually, a lot of them have had it recently. But uh, when a lot of people have access to a flyer or some kind of resilient threat that keeps coming out of the graveyard, well, then it's like, oh, I really should pay the cost of making sure I have effects, whether it's Thole Guide Lantern style things, or removal, like we mentioned in the Oblivion Ring, Baleful Mastery type space that just straight up exile.
0: So so moving on from the exile theme, there, there's some other stuff going on here too. Uh, one that is pretty cute is Wish. This is the tuna red card that you can play any card from outside the game. So one thing that's very different with this, with the other cycles of wishes that we've seen is you don't put the card in your hand. You just have to cast it right away. Like when Wish resolves, you you need to cast that other spell, and uh, that does mean that it's got some potential in like the the mono red storm deck and legacy that makes all your like red spells cheaper and you know might want to go get a lion's eye diamond because that's like a pretty reasonable combo with this card. It does seem quite a bit harder to use than all the previous wishes, though.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is. I mean, it's I this card is to me is going to work best in. Formats where you can make a lot of mana, I think, because if we're, pl- you know, I don't know if I, I would be surprised if a deck like Tron would be interested in this. Like they have Karn the Great Creator do a similar thing. But any type of like big red deck, which is capable of, you know, making a lot of red mana, whether it's to something like a, a Nikthos or a Chandra Torture Defiance, starts getting to the space of wish being a little more reasonable. And sometimes this, you know, I would say that on the whole, which looks a little bit weaker to me than the black tutors that we uh, sometimes see popping up in this sort of around this sort of sort of mana cost. But I, every once in a while, we get an effect showing up in a color we're not used to seeing it in. And it's easy to write it off because, well, in that other color, it didn't show up much. Um, Black just has, has, gets a lot more tutoring and sort of selection and card draw than red does. And so, for red decks in various formats, this might be a much bigger deal just because it's like, well, they've never exactly had something like this.
0: I, I do think it's also a pretty decent representation of the most epic spell in, in d d pretty much. It's a ninth level spell. So it, I, I think Wish, Wish lives up to it. Though Magic kind of already uh, kind of stole the trope with all the, the previous wishes, cunning wish and burning wish and whatnot, but this does still feel feel like it's the right it's the right overlap of like fits in magic fits in D&D. I think cards more cards like this are awesome.
1: Uh next up we've got another doom blade to look at, a power word kill, one in a black instant destroy target non-angel, non demon non-devil, non-dragon creature. Uh, and so, you know, we we always see these sorts of cards pop up with restrictions on what they can kill for what in a black in an instant and they it's it's interesting which ones show up in like pioneer and modern and historic um i would say that like for instance cast down has oftentimes proven to be not as quite as reliable in older formats because there just are a pretty good number of legendaries you know we've got urza's running around and now we got ragavans this one looks like pretty good to me uh In the more power, I I like this. This one to me looks like it's going to be a little bit sketchy and standard because I, from what we've seen, we've already talked about a bunch of dragons. There's, you know, there's probably going to be some good angels. We saw them showing up in Kaldheim a bunch. And so I don't know if this is exactly going to be the best removal spell in standard. It certainly looks like quite a reasonable option because it kills a lot of things. But in older formats, where it's like, oh no, angels aren't what the format's about, it's about elves and goblins and things like that, and monkeys. <laughs> uh, Power Word Kill looks like it's going to be quite reliable. Yeah, uh, missing
0: on uh, Faceless Haven is also a, a, a pretty big one.
1: That's true. Yep, Faceless savant does just have all the creature types. So it's, it's you know, one of the rare cards which is going to invalidate all four of the potential conditions. Oh, uh, pretty, you know, a pretty standard card that we're used to, but one that will be influential and standard. Well, no, no, well definitely. Just inf- to be
0: clear, it's not uncommon. It's not a rare
1: Yes. Uh, next up, let's talk about Orbit Dragonkind. And this is, this is one in a red for an artifact. And it's one cap, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. And so, yes, of course, the people who want to play with Nicol the Ravager and flip over the Nicol the Ravager can have fun with all of that. As far as like what we can expect to see from this card in a more competitive play, in all seriousness... This card also has an activated ability. Red, Tap, Sack, Orb and Dragon and Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a dragon card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. The thing that has me pretty excited about this card is, first of all, you know, this is just a card that consistently ramps you into things like Goldspan Dragon in uh, in Standard because you sort of that one ability sort of gives you one extra mana so you know solid two drop in a color which oftentimes doesn't get that kind of consistent sticky uh mana acceleration but there have been so many decks that we have seen in standard whether it's the mutate deck or the like the Sajiri shelter like fling deck that's been built around the premise of i am really 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 good when i have a gold span dragon and so that second ability that ability that, that allows you to dig into your deck seven cards deep looking for a dragon card and we could play you know with Galazeth Prime prismari is one of our dragons we've got some new dragons in this set of, we've talked about a few of them the fact that i'm going to have more consistent access to goldspan dragon feels like it's really going to unlock to what degree i can really go deep on goldspan dragon for a deck in competitive standard
0: i i, I really like cards that are split cards mana plus action and you know, between like you mentioned, Goldspan dragon, uh, Galazeth Prismari, like some of the new dragons in this set. Once you get to this critical mass where this is reliably a mana rock that you can then cash in for cards, like Mindstone is a is a, is a great card. And this card's not as yeah. generically useful as Mindstone, but it's a dragon Mindstone that taps for dragons and then finds dragons. Its draw ability is more powerful, even if it's quite a bit more restrictive on what you can use the mana for. I I really like the idea that goldspan dragon's the real selling point right because getting goldspan dragon down a turn really just sounds awesome
1: yeah and then one of the great things about it is that once you've had goldspan dragon going for even a turn or two you are so loaded up on mana that catching an orbit dragon kind to get another uh great dragon for you is going to be a real thing so um pretty i'm I'm pretty optimistic about orbit dragon kind i don't know if it's going to lead to you know full I don't think there's a card that's going to want you to have playing with a million dragons in your deck because it digs so deep and because I don't think you actually need to get a ton of value from the mana like just getting a gold span dragon to turn early is going to make up for the fact that maybe you don't get to use this as consistently as a land um but still expecting big things and you know one of the things that we can look out for is it's possible with some of the treasure themes that we've seen with dragons um, in, that we might be able to actually build a more multicolored dragon deck and put in a bunch of different colors worth of things because, you know, maybe your mana base doesn't support it, but between all of the cards and Orb of Dragonkind, we actually have some ways to make lots of different colors of mana.
0: I was just going to say, Niv-Mizzet's a dragon. This card does a pretty good job of casting Niv-Mizzet, and the Niv-Mizzet decks really need to draw Niv-Mizzet in a lot of their games. I, I don't know. Historic uh, Niv-Mizzet was already a deck. It doesn't seem completely outrageous that you could make like a a red based Niv Mizzet deck with Orb of Dragon kind.
1: <laughs> it doesn't seem ridiculous, but the 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 dragons are. I were, we would need to get some pretty cheap dragons, right? Like the strength of Niv Mizzet is it gets us all these cheap cards. I don't know. I feel like if you want to play Niv Mizzet and get a turnout out of early, just play Prismar Command like a normal person. <laughs>
0: All right, all right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> we've we've got some some solid green cards. It's, it's leap down the list here to Werewolf Pack Leader, so that's the uh, mm. green green for a three three, and it's got the ability uh, Pack Tactics, which uh, a number of of cards in the set do. It's actually it's actually kind of funny that some of the cards have this like what looks like flavor or just straight up flavor keywords, right? But then. There's actually cards that have multiple cards that have pack tactics. I think it's the only one in that vein. But uh, whenever it attacks, if you attack with total of six power or greater of creatures, draw a card, and it's green green for a three three. So all you need to do is attack with three power worth of creatures alongside it, and it draws you a card. And then also you can pay three and a green to make it into a, a five three trampler, and it loses it loses uh, its human subtype. So basically, its werewolf form is uh five three instead of three three. But mostly it's a two mana three three, which is already like pretty solid. And then if you can combine it with another creature or two, you can all of a sudden draw a card and you attack. I'm thinking Faceless Haven if you if you can really get a good mono <laughs> green deck going on.
1: Yeah, sounds great for this is this going to be a key card of any green stompy deck. Um something I'll be looking out for is um are there any effects that sort of allow you to get this one up to uh six power on your next turn that feel like good to play with because you know if you don't have that it's like i play this on turn two on turn three presumably i will be able to play a uh a creature of some kind which will get you um up to six power and then on turn four i get to attack um but it's you know sort of if i could pack leader itself up to six power then on turn three i'm drawing cards so i, I like that even more Um, and it'll be interesting to see also if you can make the mana work if there's any three power haste creatures that's going to be a really nice combo with this one because that'll give you sort of the one two punch maybe your opponent thought they had one more turn they could wait before they even bothered killing the werewolf pack leader but when you're hitting them on turn three with that haste creature whatever we can dig into a second color for now we're really getting rolling um so i i I like that a lot and if you want to sound smart um when you're talking to your friends the way to describe these sort of these italic words we see on a bunch of the cards is their keyword abilities so they're not new to magic in this set or in that there's a bunch of them frequently uh you know like land our landfall is one that we see a lot where it says landfall on the card it doesn't actually mean anything that it says landfall because it. because basically they always spell out the full rules text afterwards, but it is just a way of reminding players sort of what it does. In this case, we get a bunch of one-offs, but like you mentioned, Pack Tactics seems to be the one keyword ability that gets repeated a bunch in the set with a couple of cards, all keying off of you attacking with six or more creatures uh, worth of power this turn.
0: I'm telling you, Faceless Haven, though, Questing Beast also could be a nice little combo. Uh,
1: Luis, I'm going to have to remind you that it will be rotating on a Throne of Eldraine. But there is a new green uh, haste creature that looks decent. It's a little bit higher up on the curve, um, but the, the frog myth looks like it's frog got Hymoth? something. It's 5-mana <laughs> yeah. 4-4 four, four haste. Yeah. 5-mana 4-4 four, four trample haste. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on hemith for each card exiled this way. You gain 1 life for each non-creature card exiled this way. So it's like a little mini like haste Trample hit. When I hit, I get to get sort of a scavenging ooze sort of on your graveyard um, where the, instead of getting getting it all when you exile creatures, you sort of get counters when you have creatures and life when you hit non-creatures. So, uh, you know, I, I, that card doesn't seem amazing to me, but it's sort of in the vein of something that will work well in a Werewolf Pack Leader deck where we're frequently trying to follow up. And it's important to note the Werewolf Pack Leader does itself have to attack. Unfortunately, I was... The really powerful version of this card would be, I get to play this as a follow up, but it only triggers if you attacked with um, if this creature was one of the creatures that attacked. Uh,
0: the other green card that uh, that I was mentioning was the uh, the new Druid. It's a uh, green, green, green for uh, a two one, and it, and it taps for uh, a mana, green mana for every creature you control. Is that right? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. I was, I just, this is the this is the hardest removal check of the, that you're going to see in standard, is my guess.
0: Yeah, it it it, it So circle of dreams. Druid, here we go. It's a green, green, green. Yeah, for a two one taps for a green for each creature you control, and uh, so by itself it taps for one, but mostly it's like an elvish arch druid. Except you don't need to be playing elves; you could just be playing whatever you want. And definitely a card that's going to lead to removal or bust pretty pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this this card will really go crazy if we actually end up getting, like, a line of we Elves. We're, I, I think we're losing... Just Faris Sentinel does not get this card out on turn two, unless there's, like, an Ornithopter in the mix. Um, and with the uh, the Gilded Goose leaving the format, I think we're losing all of the ways to get this out on turn two. But if we do see that in the future at some point in Standard, that'll really make Circle of Dreams Druid even better. Uh, and then this is also a card that you can, you know... It's, uh, my guess is it's unlikely this will rise to the level of Tier 1 competitive standard play um, because it is just so fragile for a 3-drop without really giving you a lot of flexibility in how it works or ability to protect itself or do anything when it comes into play. But if there, if, if there is an effect that allows you to untap a creature repeatedly for an amount of either uh, generic mana or green mana we might be able to make infinite mana with this card. And so I'm sure we will end up having some amount of infinite mana combos in standard with this card. Whether any of them are close to good enough, well, we'll have to see as uh, we get more cards from this set and what we get in sort of the false set. I'm not aware of anything in standard at the moment, which goes in front with this one.
0: I don't even think that the, the main use of this was going to be to go infinite. I think it's just going to be a three mana play that if they don't kill it, you tap for like two or three mana, and that's already enough resources to really kind of bury them. So... De- definitely a card wow. with a lot of potential that way.
1: Yeah, you, you, you are you are underrating our uh, our fellow Magic players. Uh, I got I got to be honest, uh, people are going to go in for a lot with this one. I, I'm just saying, if you're in the queues, that's 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 what, that's what people are at, man.
0: All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, anything else? I,
1: I I don't want to have to like send you a bunch of deck lists every time I run into one of these. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anything else? Uh, took your fancy for before we wrap it up.
1: Uh, I like Grazalex, um and I like we should talk about dungeons a little bit before we wrap oh, it God. up. But uh, yeah, Grazilex Illithid Scholar. So this is a 3 and blue for a 3-2. Um, it has when one or more of your creatures hits the enemy player, um, you get to draw a card. And so a pretty great follow-up, you know, I just play like a good evasive creature on turn one or turn two. And then on turn three, I drop this, swing in, and now I'm just up a card. And so I'm now in this position where it's like I've got this cantripping like 3-2 um but in addition to that uh you sort of actually have to kill this thing otherwise it's going to get even worse for you and then it's got a pretty wild ability whenever creature you control becomes blocked you may return it to its owner's hand and so what we can do with this is we can just play this card with a bunch of like elvish visionary style creatures just swing in with them if they block one of them we return any of them that they block we return to our hand and we get to rebuy their etb effects and if any of them get through we get to draw a card and so you're going to put your opponent in some tough squeezes, but I, I really like this one. It's just like a lord. And so for any kind of for a mono blue deck, I think we're going to see uh, this card show up and be a big deal because it just sort of offers this like curious obsession type effect. But instead of it sort of being on one creature, well, they actually have to deal with your three drop. And almost that's what you'd rather have. Like uh, the way that I think mono blue tempo decks typically work best is when it's like, oh these these flyers are keep getting in, keep churning through, keep dealing damage. It can oftentimes be quite tricky when you're playing with a curious obsession-style deck in blue, where it's like, oh, okay, well, I have to put a lot of risk. I'm going to take up some of my mana this turn to make this flyer even better, and then if they kill that I don't have anything hitting. I don't have a card draw engine. And so, by sort of diversifying on the board where the damage is coming from, from where the card draw is coming from, we're making it harder for our opponent to just, in one fell swoop, just, just decimate our strategy and force us in a position where it's like, well, I can't go for it. I have to like leave up this protection spell. This is going to allow you to sort of just play a more tempo game and potentially play it in more colors as well because um, this card is just going to work pretty nicely, even if it's just following up a rather beefy creature that came down on turn one or turn two
0: it adds a new angle to to how where these cards typically you know haven't played that way and i i think that bouncing the etb stuff is a big part of that
1: i mean like imagine this like i don't think the curve quite works right because this costs three mana that's what the adventure cards cost but to give you an idea like this card's pretty great with something like bone crusher china brazen bar it's like if they even chump block those cards, I could just bounce it back to my hand and get a rebuy on the adventure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that does sound pretty good. And uh, yeah, it, double blue is a little, a little tough, but I think if you had a, if you had the right mix of creatures, you could definitely get there. Even if the, uh, th- this, this card is probably best paired with non blue cards as opposed to blue ones. I guess brazen borrower might be an exception or you could just put in rogues. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Or you could just put it in Rogues. Yeah, it definitely seems pretty good as a top-end card for for a Rogue stack because, yeah, we've got flat. Uh, I love the flyer, the fact that they're flying, that they have Flash, and so it's going to be a real nice curve where you sort of are going to know it's going to work that first turn. That, that's sort of the ideal is what you want to do with Grazilex is like, first turn, I'm definitely getting my card, and then after that, it's all gravy because I've at least gotten a good amount of value.
0: Alright, so um, let's chat about dungeons, though. You're, you're definitely right that we that we, we want to get to those. So there are three there are three main there are three dungeons right now. We don't we don't we know there's not gonna be any more in this set. Obviously, more could come in the future. Um and uh they all provide slightly different things. So uh there is the uh the 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 kind of more punishing one is the the tomb of horrors, uh the there's a dungeon of the of the Mad Mage, and then there's the ruins of, I don't remember the, the, the whole name, um, the the halls of L- Lathander or something like that. But uh, when you play one of the dungeon cards, you have to choose which dungeon you want to venture through. Uh, but you can't go into any other dungeon until you've completed it. And every time you go up in a room, you end up getting the effects of that room, and there's obviously some different forks you can go through to find them. Uh, are, are you looking for dungeons? You're, you're dungeoneering right now.
1: <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I'm just making sure I got in front of me because you, you seem so knowledgeable. But what their names were, I f- kind of felt behind because I don't have them memorized yet.
0: Uh, I, I do two of the three, but um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But <clears throat> to to me, this mechanic is is pretty interesting. It reminds me a lot of energy in that by playing with sort of normal ish magic cards. are giving me that can give me an extra resource and that the more of this resource i get the more rewards i get in the case of energy you're sort of building up a currency that you could spend in the case of dungeons you're sort of getting it's almost more like it's just checking like your lifetime income of venture instead of check and sort of letting you spend it and so with each more venture we get we get even more and more rewards and ultimately As you mentioned, the big reward is like completing a dungeon. And some of the dungeons go pretty fast and give you a modest reward. And some of the dungeons are pretty hard. Dungeon of the Mad Mage is like the one where it's like, oh, this one's a baller reward. Draw three cards when you get to the end, reveal them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. And that's like a really intense reward. And so that one takes a bit more work to get through. You have to venture a lot more to get through it. And so I'm excited to like sort of see what it's like both in limited and constructed when I play each game, it's like, how much do I go through the same dungeon? Maybe I want to try to get to the end of a dungeon quickly, or maybe I just think I'm going to be venturing a lot this game. And so what are the kinds of cards that we've seen with a venture so far? Um, So we've just got, you know, pretty normal things. We've got things like in blue, there's three mana for a 3-2 with ETV Venture. And I would, from reading these, I would say that generally speaking, Venture is worth like a little bit more, like, it's about half of a card i would say more or less like it starts off with the first couple of ventures being worth a bit of a card you know we're talking about effects like gain a life scribe one you know get a one one token things that are not you know fairly, relatively modest but then as we get deeper into the dungeon we get our scribe twos our create couple of tokens we get to, you know, put a counter on a creature. We get to exile the top two cards of our library and play them. And so we're getting more and more rewards. And so then the, they sort of upgrade, upgraded. So our cards are just, when you play with venture cards, a great way to think about it is that it's like, you start off getting relatively modest cards, but the more the game goes on, the better your cards are going to be getting. And so there's gonna there are cards which look like they're for tempo decks because it's great to get sort of extra rewards for just doing your thing. A card in blue. What's with that bad boy? Um, Teen Malazan, it's a snake rogue for a 2-1. It can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone. And whenever deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. And so this guy is just a good attacker. It keeps, keeps giving us like more rewards, but it's going to start off being modest. But then by the end, it's like, yeah, my 2-drop wanted attack that I got to scry 3. It's like, okay, this is pretty great. I
0: mean... This is the, this is certainly the most promising of the venture cards we've seen so far. Uh, and if you can reliably go through the dungeon, it's hard to quantify exactly how much it's worth. Cause like you mentioned, it's worth less than a card to start with, ramps up. It, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit winner take all, right? Where. It's not worth that much unless you go through the whole shebang. At which point, each each one was retroactively worth quite a bit. Once you get to the end of like the more high payoff dungeons, like the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, uh, whereas if you if you if you're just uh, making some some tokens and drawing a card at the end, it's clearly a less of a payoff, but it's a little easier to get through the dungeon.
1: Yeah, and and I think one of the things you'll be looking out for as you start building with venture into decks is, are there Rooms on these dungeons, which are particularly meaningful for me. So there's a number of cards in this set which care about you, for instance, using mana from treasure tokens. Well, two of the dungeons have a room which just straight up gives you a treasure token. The the easy dungeon, lost mine of Fandelver, the second room is just create a treasure token. And so that one's great. And in the really deep, long dungeon, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, the Goblin Bazaar, same thing. Create a treasure token. And so we have a we can both If we're playing a treasure deck in upcoming standard we can get to treasure tokens by venturing just by doing a little bit of venturing and so that's going to give us increased access to what could be a key resource you know we have to be ready for and nimble about as a constructed player is the changing value of game pieces you know when we started playing standard uh and seeing preview cards for throne of eldraine I didn't have much optimism that getting a food was going to be like this insane upside, but then it turned out that it was the difference of my wolf being one one bigger and being indestructible, being an immediate three three attacker with my oko or an extra mana with my Gilded Goose. And so these cards, so what can some, in one format and in one set of cards be kind of a modest little reward of getting a treasure token, can all of a sudden turn into something super meaningful. You know, you might see a card which just allows you to turn treasures into drawing cards, and that's going to be really fantastic if we if our Venture cards are giving us some extra treasures.
0: How likely do you think it is that uh, venturing into the dungeon becomes a, a good strategy?
1: Um, I think it's going to really depend upon how much cohesive extra venturing we can get together into one deck and sort of it's going to be the kind of thing where it's like oh if I can vent if I have a bunch of cards which venture I could start making plans around some of the cards rewarding you for completing a dungeon one of the places I'm more excited by venturing is in blue tempo because in blue tempo we have Yonti Malazon. fly is a one mana um or which is going to give one of our creatures flying and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player venture into a dungeon um and so now we've got two cards which are both giving our allowing us to build evasive threats that allow us to venture turn after turn and then we can combine with that uh the displacement guy that's the the blue three drop um the displacer beast um and so that's another cantripping venture card eccentric apprentice is a wind drake with venture when we complete a dungeon we get to tap um at the beginning of combat on our turn if we've completed a dungeon up to one target creature becomes a bird with one one with base power, toughness, 1-1, one, one, and flying. We can use that on enemy things. And so I think these cards are relatively modest. I, it's it's really hard to evaluate how good they're going to be because the more I've seen venture, the more it seems to me is that the power is in being able to quickly venture um, a couple of times, complete a dungeon, and get those bigger rewards So now our ventures are really delivering for us. If I think if you're venturing just a couple of times in a game, playing one card, which is just like oh maybe the course of a couple of turns i think we want to try to work towards the spot where it's like oh no no i got through that dungeon just a couple of turns and got a big reward especially dungeon of the mad mage and so it's really going to depend on the power level of standard and how many sort of venture cards i think we can get into one deck but i haven't seen any thing yet which is just like oh this is an insane venture engine all on its own and is self-contained like an, a, an example of a kind of effect I could imagine seeing is some sort of artifact or enchantment which like whenever one of our creatures dies we get to venture and then it's like all of a sudden holy cow if I just play this in a deck with some sacrifice cards I'm already doing everything I want to now I could just venture all of the way through off this one card um and so I haven't seen any sort of uber powerful venture cards yet instead what i've seen is mostly like hey no let's put a package of cards into our blue aggro tempo deck and so we'll see how many of those kinds of packages we can see or maybe there's just going to be some bust adventure uh sort of engines which are self-contained you know um something like long tusk cub and uh glint sleeve siphoner i guess was even better example glintzy siphoner was an energy card in standard that you just didn't need to play with other energy cards and so it was just a good enough card in its own that it could get there. I haven't seen one that really feels like it reaches that level yet, but it's still early. Uh,
0: various Silvery Moon Ranger is one that probably doesn't work on its own, but it's a, it's a pretty solid engine. Three mana, 3-3 three, three reach with ward one. And then whenever you cast a creature or Planeswalker spell, you venture. It only triggers once per turn, but still, that's pretty reliable. And then when you complete a dungeon, you make a 2-2 two, two wolf. So... If you play this as one of your closers, you could potentially, like, play this, play a one-drop, complete a dungeon, get a wolf. That's kind of a lot of stuff all in one turn.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, um, because this card does reward you being in play exactly when you've completed a dungeon. Um, the ward ability makes it a little bit harder to remove, so there's some, there, there is some some good things going on with Varus. definitely could fit into a green Venture deck uh, that does seem like to be one of the better Venture ones. Um, so... There, you know, the land. The land looks pretty modest. I'm not. May, maybe this is worth it because it's sort of like putting like a draw card effect on a land. Uh, dungeon Descent is a they, they were land with ETB tap. Pushing the envelope. Taps before. for a colorless, <laughs> and you could for tap an untapped legendary creature control. Venture into the dungeon. It's like as a sorcery. Okay. Yeah, activate only as a sorcery, so you can't even do it on your opponent's end step. This it's like, me right. of
0: uh, the haunted crossroads or whatever that one was from battle for yeah it was like (laughs) comes to play tap taps for colorless taps for colored mana to only play colorless cards and it's just like what but uh
1: yeah so uh yeah it's like it's it almost reminds me of like seagate restoration where it's like this land isn't consistently um or not seagate restore uh what was it it was the it's the land that lets you draw a card when you even empty a land, and it has shown up in some formats. It didn't; it wasn't huge in standard because it just felt like it's like, by the time I... It's like, you're so consistently not working for me during the course of the game. It's like, even if I have this upside of like, later on, it lets me do something with creatures I don't need. The fact that you coming to play tapped and not giving me colored mana, that's eh, a little rough.
0: Well, I look forward to venturing into some dungeons. It's certainly going to be an interesting limited mechanic, and you know what? Some of the some of the things you you mentioned do seem like they may well, could make sense for Constructed as well. So,
1: yeah, we'll have to see. I, I think the one I'm the most excited by is Tomb of Annihilation because this is like the crazy drawback uh, dungeon that you were alluding to. You go through it super fast, but it like requires you to like sack and discard stuff. And hey, we don't know. Maybe maybe Innistrad's going to have madness again. Or maybe it's going to have more great sacrifice stuff. Like, you know, Oubliad is a room that's literally discard a card, sacrifice an artifact, a creature, and a land. Well, I don't know. It's kind of wild that I'm going to have to discard and sack so many things in a turn. But when Mayhem Devil was legal, me sacking a creature, an artifact, and a land all at the same time just meant that I got to, like, cast, like, a free arc lightning. So you never know in terms of what cards might come in the future or, we, or might be coming down the road in this set that work really well with that room and turn that drawback into an upside and I think that's going to be the key is because Tomb of Annihilation let the endpoint you get a four four token with that touch and because you can go through the dungeon in just three steps if we have cards which can consistently take advantage you know like claim the firstborn to sacrifice a creature with this that turn that sort of drawback into an advantage then Tomb of Annihilation could just be really strong
0: if you claim the firstborn one like the Yuan T. It, it it gets itself through the dungeon for you to sacrifice if you really want to.
1: <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that'll do it for the show this week. Uh you know, looking forward to seeing uh, how, how how we can cast our Demi Liches more, more so than anything else. But a lot of stuff going on in the adventures of the Forgotten Realms. So uh, head on over to ChannelFireball.com. Keep track of uh, what's been released, what looks good, and, you know, take some home if that's what you're into. Once again, you can use the code CR. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at LSV. You can find BK on Twitter at ABEXT. We'll see you next week.
1: Uh, it's been a little while since I checked in about some stuff that I've been watching and I've been enjoying. So uh, I thought I'd do a little theme week. Uh, every show I'm going to be talking about, If a lot of people haven't checked out Apple TV Plus with good reason. Like, who needs to subscribe to another streaming service? But there's a couple of shows on there that I've really enjoyed, so I thought I'd throw a recommendation their way for you. Uh, the first of which is the one I'm currently in the middle of, and it's For All Mankind. And this is a big, epic, um, sort of alternative history show from Ronald D. Moore, the creator of Battlestar Galactica. And it is a. the premise of the show is that the U.S. gets beat to the moon and it takes pl- starts off in the 1960s, gets beat to the moon by the Soviets. And so instead of the sort of us landing on the moon first being a sort of a tipping point where sort of the, the space race sort of starts to wrap up a little bit where it's no longer really about us trying to beat the Soviets to anything, instead it... What it does is it sends the space race to a whole another level where now the race becomes really intense to see who can sort of first establish a permanent base on the moon and sort of what it does to history to sort of continue to have a really intense national dream about going into space and exploring um, and sort of what are the ramifications of that. And there's if you like Apollo 13, if that's a movie you enjoyed I think you'll absolutely love this movie because it's got tons of awesome scenes in space with you know if you like the movie like the martian where they're having to solve problems and deal with impossible situations um really cool show to check out uh it's two seasons in so far and absolutely been loving it so check that one out uh the next one up is mythic quest this is from rob McElhenney, the creator of it's always sunny in philadelphia he plays mac on that show and it's a show that hits kind of close to home for me and Luis. So I don't think Luis has seen this one because it's about a video game company that makes a game called Mythic Quest. And so uh, it's, a, you know, it's kind of a workplace comedy. But what really makes the show work for me is it's about, the, it's about the the sort of the creative tensions between people, the people who are sort of out to make the game for money, who are sort of maybe being hacky and relying on their old ideas versus the people who want to who are young and upstarts and want to do something new and it's not even a case where it's like any of these people are you know ever bad people or villains or heroes typically but it's the fun tension between like sort of these contrasting views and the show is just a good time along the way but there's also a, a lot of like sort of good drama that's pretty and i would say pretty insightful to what it is actually like for people who work in sort of the creative field like Luis and i do where it's it can be pretty chaotic funny dramatic intense ridiculous at times when you have a bunch of different kinds of people coming together that have to agree on sort of one thing to do when making a game so definitely uh check that one out if you're at all curious if you if you enjoy like video games that are curious for what is you know i think a fairly realistic depiction of what it is like to make video games um as far as you can expect from a tv show and then the last one is ted lasso Uh, And so this is probably the most ridiculous premise. Uh, 10 years ago, NBC tasked Jason Sudeikis from SNL with producing a series of promos because they were getting coverage of the Premier Soccer League. And so he came up with the idea, what if we did a series of commercials around me being an American football coach being sent over to England to coach, you know, you know, club football, uh, soccer, as we call it here in the States. And so, you know, It's all fish out of water, like a ridiculous American Yankee coaching up, not understanding what offsides means in soccer, that kind of thing. And they managed to actually, 10 years later, adapt it into a really fantastic show that's, you know, about a bunch of people coming together on a team who just everybody on this team is kind of like a misfit. They're down on their luck in some way, but it's kind of inspiring to just watch these people sort of manage to come together and pull something off. So it's both really funny, but also if you like, you know, sort of sports movies or just generally like underdog movies where you see you see the uh, the underdog come together and manage to pull something off. I, I think you'll really enjoy Ted Lasso, and it's it, it's a pretty fun one to to check out just because the the show is both very very funny, but also really hits a good emotional note. And I would say that's the thing that is true. I would say about all of these shows is that they both really work on both levels, whether it's For all mankind working on like a sci-fi epic level or ted lasso working on like just being a uh, a cool sports show but they also have really good heart and emotional storylines so um if you haven't checked out apple tv plus uh well you could probably pirate these shows but also you can probably get a free monthly trial and work your way through all them in that month (laughs)